Howdy. I'm Eric from Antioch, California. Hey, I'm Kevin from Victor, New York. I'm Luke from Seattle. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is produced independently and supported by listeners like you and me. You should support the show like I did. Just visit MaximumFun.org slash donate. I'm Jesse Thorne. One of my guests this week is the jazz pianist Robert Glasper. What kind of music did you love when you were 14 years old? Actually, I loved pop rock music. I love Billy Joel. I love Bruce Hornsby. I love Bonnie Raitt. And I loved hip-hop as well. I was a Tribe Called Quest fan. And I loved a lot of Keith Jarrett at that time period. Few are the guests on our show who don't say that when they were 14, they loved Keith Jarrett, A Tribe Called Quest, and Bonnie Raitt. <laughs> that would literally be like a mixtape. I used to make tapes to listen to in my car. My friends would get in my car and be like, huh? <laughs> they, they, they'd be like nodding to the Tribe Called Quest, but you keep riding. And in about 10 minutes, turn, turn down, down the lights. Turn down the bed. It's Bullseye. This week, Robert Glasper transforms the 90s grunge hit Smells Like Teen Spirit into something surprisingly beautiful. I talked to Pendleton Ward about his animated show Adventure Time. It combines two great elements of teenage boyhood, innocence and Dungeons and & Dragons. And Found Magazine's Davey Rothbart shares a mysterious note uncovered in Texas. It says, Jenna, can I give you a sensual massage? Then I will talk about Jesus. All that and more this week on Bullseye. Let's go. Bullseye, I'm Jesse Thorne. Every week on the show, we're joined by one of our favorite culture critics to get some recommendations for stuff that's worth your time. This week, we're joined by Mark Frauenfelder from Boing Boing. Hey, Mark, how you doing? I'm doing great, Jesse. Oh, I'm happy to hear it. You, you always, the tone of your voice always lifts my spirit, Mark, I have to admit. <laughs> well, I always get happy when I talk to you. Oh, that's kind. Um, okay, here we go. Let's start with your first pick. It's called uh, The Harvey Girls, Little Audrey, Little Dot, and Little Lotta. Uh, this is a huge anthology of comics. I-, I was not familiar with this title. Tell me a little bit about it. Well, Harvey Publications was a comic book publisher that is probably most famous for Casper, uh, The Friendly Ghost, and Richie Rich. But there were also these girl characters, Little Lotta, Little Dot, and Little Audrey. And the great thing about these characters is that, first of all, the, the art is just fantastic. It's beautiful art. The stories are really funny. And the girls are really strong characters. And, and they're not uh, just victims of circumstance. They are the, the masters of their destiny. And so I am just thrilled when my, my nine-year-old daughter reads these comics. Tell me about what kind of adventures they get up to. Well, Little Dot is is a, a very strange because she's obsessed with polka dots, like psychologically obsessed with painting everything she could find polka dots or cutting polka dots and everything. And then Little Lotta is like this giant-sized girl who has an incredible appetite, but then she has super strength too. So she she does things that uh, she doesn't even realize. You know, she can lift an entire house to save a kitty or something like that. And then little Audrey doesn't really have any special skills other than she's very good at surviving on her wits, and she's 
uh, constantly in trouble with the truancy officer because she doesn't like to go to school. I always hate to say that things were better back then than they are now, but um, you know, this is another example of of something that was was great and could never be replicated today. Let's talk about uh, another thing from way back when. Although this is an example of uh, today's technology enabling us to enjoy something from way back when. Uh, there's a website and foundation called the Internet Archive at archive.org, and they have a classic TV feed which uh, allows you to access huge amounts of TV from the earliest days of television. Um, tell me a little bit about how you discovered this and, and what you like to watch on it. Well, they have a, a section on the Internet Archive called Classic TV, part of their Moving Image Archive. And so they or somebody uploads these great old TV shows. Most uh, most of them I've never heard of before. A lot of them are from the 1950s. And so there's some incredible stuff on there. These these television shows back in, in the day were, were pretty bizarre. There's a really great one called You Asked For It, and they have bu- tons of the episodes uploaded. So I'm just looking at like one episode, uh, episode number eight of You Asked For It. It's kind of a variety show. It included the following segments. A reverse escape artist, a little German oompa band, <laughs> getting venom from a snake, a collection of working miniatures, and a, recre- and a recreation of a famous fight. <laughs> includes original commercials. I mean, how can you resist a show like that? Well, I mean, it seems like a great part of the appeal of television in the early days was just, hey, how about if we show you some stuff that otherwise you wouldn't get to see? Yeah, it's a lot like, it sounds a lot like YouTube in a way, doesn't it? Really, there's enough of this free entertainment that you'd never have to pay for anything again. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us on Bullseye. Thanks a lot, Jesse. Mark Frauenfelder from BoingBoing.net recommends The Harvey Girls, Little Audrey, Little Dot, and Little Lada, a book anthology of the classic comics, which you can find in bookstores, and the Internet Archive classic TV feed, which you can find online at archive.org. Just search for the classic TV feed. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest Robert Glasper grew up in Houston, going to club gigs with his mother, a singer and piano player. He got serious about his own piano playing as a teenager at the High School for the Performing and Visual Arts and studied jazz at the New School in New York. He spent 10 years establishing his bona fides in the world jazz scene, while occasionally making side trips to the soul and hip-hop worlds, working with artists like Common, Kanye West, Erica Badu, and the late Jay Dilla. His 2009 album, Double Booked, featured one disc of traditional jazz trio and one disc of funkier experimental jazz. His newest record, Black Radio, is more like a soul album played by a jazz combo. It features vocals from artists like Lupe Fiasco, Mostef, and Glasper's longtime friend Bilal. Let's take a listen to one of the tracks which features Bilal on vocals, a cover of David Bowie's Letter to Hermione. They say your life is going very well They say you sparkle like a different girl 
But something tells me that you hide When all the world is warm and tired You cry a little in the dark Well, so do I I'm not quite sure what you're supposed to say But I can see it's not okay He makes you laugh, he brings you out in style He treats you well, he makes you a real fun And when he's strong, he's strong for you And when you kiss us, it's something new But did you ever call my name just by mistake? I'm not quite sure what we're supposed to do Robert Glasper, welcome to Bullseye. It's great to have you on the show. Indeed. Thank you so much for having me. So you were literally spent a lot of time as a kid backstage at clubs with your mom on stage? Yes, my mom on stage. um, Random waitresses coming in, checking on me. (laughs) As long as she was like... You know, within a seven walk, seven stride, walk stride to me, she was she was rather she rather that be the case than just be at some strange babysitter's house. You know, <laughs> back then I don't even think they had nanny cams back then. So, <laughs> you know, she was not about to have people watching me. If my grandmother couldn't do it, then I was with her. I so, like that. There's a specific distance, it, like yeah, it's like seven, an electric seven strides, type yeah. situation. Seven strides. It has to be seven. Definitely. Seven or less. What was it like for you to be backstage when you were, you know, not even (laughs) of age? Uh, It was fun for me. For me, it was it was it was uh, interesting. And I loved I've always loved music. So I was just listening to the music. I got, you know, I would get a chance to watch, watch the musicians. And, you know, that she was always having rehearsals at the house, too. And so I would always be around the rehearsals. And, you know, so it was just a it was a really cool world for me. It wasn't ever like burdensome to you. It didn't ever feel like, oh God, more music. I guess I have to. I have to practice my piano. No, because I wasn't even. Uh, funny thing is, I wasn't even playing piano then. I didn't start playing piano until I was in, like eleven. Um, I was really. I was actually playing drums when I was like seven. Um, I don't know. I loved being around the music, but I didn't really tap into it. Like, hey, I want to do it till till a little bit later. What do you think changed? I don't um me not making the basketball team. <laughs> Cuz I literally like I auditioned for a um a performing arts high school my freshman year and I got in for piano, but I declined to go because I wanted to play basketball at the regular high school. So I stayed at the regular high school. I went to the regular high school and rode the bench the whole year and I realized, uh, you know what? I'm probably, let me try out this piano thing. <laughs> So then I went to the regular. Then I went to the performing arts high school, and that's kind of where I got more serious. But if if you grew up with your mom playing all different, I mean, playing you know playing as a working musician and the kind of working musician who, you know, is a kind of local working musician, which is to say, plays whatever kind of music there is a gig for, right? Um, then you then you're in a situation where you have to have you know you sort of by necessity have a basic fluency in everything. Exactly. And that becomes a norm for you, you know, to not have fluency in everything becomes like abnormal. So that's kind of how I got it. I think that's how I got it. That's cause all I know is random <laughs> randomness, you know? And, um, to me the random, I embraced the randomness and it became, 
you know, um, normancy, if you will. What kind of music did you love when you were 14 years old? Um, 14. What is 14? Ninth grade? Um, I loved, actually, I loved pop rock music. I love Billy Joel. I love Bruce Hornsby. I love Bonnie Raitt. Um, and I loved hip hop as well. I was a Tribe Called Quest fan. Um, and I loved a lot of Keith Jarrett at that time period. I think, you know, few are the, few are the guests on our show who don't say that when they were 14, they loved Keith Jarrett, A Tribe Called Quest, and Bonnie Raitt. <laughs> that would literally be like a mixtape. I used to make tapes to listen to in my car. And I'm sure that all those were on there at t- together. My mixtapes are very random. My friends would get in my car and be like, huh? <laughs> they, they, they'd be like nodding to the Tribe Called Quest, but you keep riding. And in about 10 minutes, you know, I'm going to hit you with, you know, turn down the lights. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest, Robert Glasper, is a jazz pianist. But with his band, The Robert Glasper Experiment, he plays much more than just jazz. We're talking about the band's recent album, Black Radio. You have a a beautiful cover on the new record of uh, the Nirvana song, Smells Like Teen Spirit. I remember being an adolescent when Nirvana were at their peak. Right. And the phenomenon couldn't have been more powerful. And I wonder what they meant to you at that time. For me, I love that tune because it was kind of like a rebellious tune in a way. It was kind of like rebelling against, you know, anything that was normal or something. Everyone, once that song came on, I used to go to the skating rink every Friday night and when that song came on everybody just it was almost like a rave type vibe it was just like yeah you know and for me I love the song because the melody and the changes were nice (laughs) but a lot of my friends around me weren't thinking like that they were just like yeah I love this song because it's this it's this and I loved it because the song was I loved the lyrics and and the melody was beautiful and the the arrangement was beautiful and the way they played it was beautiful. You know what I mean? I was just, I loved it from a real, just a musical standpoint, which is why I did it again because, you know, that song's kind of rocked out hardcore. So the fact that the melody is really beautiful can get lost in the heart, in the, in the, in the hardness of the rocking out. What did you see as the essential vibe of the song? What was the thing that you wanted to keep? Um, I want to keep that in the chorus. The fact that it drives so hard and it repeats and it kind of ends up being like a like a chant, you know what I mean? It, it, it ends up being like that. And even when you get to the verse, it puts you in a certain mood, like it always did that the original, where you were in one mood on the verses and it was a whole separate mood. It was beautiful, and then it went to this whole rebellious type mood. And it it, is almost like freedom at that point. 
After a break, Robert Glasper tells us in no uncertain terms what he thinks is wrong with jazz these days. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. Production of Bullseye is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. And by Graham Clark, comedian and host of the podcast, Stop Podcasting Yourself. Presenting a new stand-up special, available online at thestandupcomedians.com. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Robert Glasper. He's a jazz pianist, record producer, and the band leader of the Robert Glasper Experiment. I, I want to ask you about uh, about working with Bilal Oliver, um, mm-hmm. with whom you've worked for many, many years. Yes. Um, the two of you met in college, right? Yes. We both got... Bilal's from Philly. I'm from Houston. We both got full scholarships to the new school. Um, in Manhattan and um, when you first go there they put all the new students in a room and basically call you call your names and they just make random bands and you just play together and um, we actually didn't play together but I just saw him sing with another band he's like oh I was like man he's ridiculous and he heard me play he's like oh man you're ridiculous and there was only six black people at the school so we just knew each other (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) we just became really 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 cool from day one and here we are 15 years in same thing it's my brother right there he's my favorite vocalist is there i was thinking of playing there's a couple of uh songs that you recorded with him on your very first album Uh uh-huh uh mood is is there one that maybe you'd, you'd like to uh talk about a little bit uh yeah well i like the maiden voyage and the main voice that's on there and there's a subtle hint of Radiohead mixed in there A, a mashup that I came up with a long time ago actually I actually redid it again on my in my element record more blatant because I could actually get it cleared um, so on mood this album mood we're talking about I, I didn't have the means to get it cleared I was in a small label we couldn't get the radiohead cleared so I just hinted at it I invited Bilal to the studio to come put something on it and I didn't know what he was gonna do he didn't tell me what he was gonna do he didn't know what he was gonna do he just went into the booth and started making sounds and my producer was like what is he doing? I don't like the what's happening. And I was like, I don't know, but he's a genius. Just let him do what he does. Because he went in there and started going, bzzz, <laughs> you know. And then all of a sudden, it turned into this beautiful sea of sound. Let's take a listen to the Robert Glasper trio from Robert Glasper's very first album, 2004's Mood, uh, featuring Bilal with a version of Herbie Hancock's Maiden Voyage with a a little bit of interpolation of Radiohead on top of it. Mm-hmm. 
So Radiohead isn't something that you hear a lot of um, in, <laughs> you know, her, usually in, in traditional jazz, Herbie Hancock is like, uh, is controversial enough. Right. <laughs> uh, just because you can kind of dance to it. Right. So r- right from the start, you were interested in expanding the boundaries of what jazz could be. Yes. Um, it, it seems like there are a lot of folks in the jazz community who are interested in maintaining jazz essentially as uh, as a museum, as something that that can be that we can be reverent of. Right. Certainly, but that shouldn't expand. Right. <laughs> um, and who said that? Who said, hey, wait a minute, jazz shouldn't expand. <laughs> all it's ever done was expand. That's all it did. It always moved. It always changed. And I'm trying to figure out what person said, you know what, let's stop it right here. And it should never, it should stop growing. Like, I want to I want to meet that person. Because jazz to begin with never did that. It always moved. It always expanded. It always changed. It always, you know, it, it, it always morphed into other things. And that's the spirit of it. That's what it's supposed to do. So I'm just doing what it's supposed to do. I'm playing jazz. That's 2012. When you put on a record of mine in 2012, you're going to know the year. When you put on a, When you put on any Miles Davis album, you'll know the year. I could tell you what year most Miles Davis records are, or at least what, decade you know what i mean i can tell you oh that's birth of the cool uh that's you know miles around the world oh that's you know that's this that's that that's 1964 you know he always changed with the times he always had on something different under him that um let you know what year it was because he was always searching to do the new stuff you know that's why i admire miles is somebody i admire because he never stayed stagnant he never was in one place he always moved so whoever these people are that are saying, well, jazz should stay here, they must not like Miles Davis or Herbie or any of our great, great, great innovators. You know what I mean? Thelonious Monk, he was always doing what he wanted to do. He was always doing something different. You know what I mean? He always moved, and that's what he's supposed to do. So I'm just literally doing what I think. I'm I'm just being honest with myself and doing music that I like to do, which is the music of now. It's pretty simple. Do you think that um, doing the music of now means um, moving jazz music towards other genres of music and especially, you know, uh, more popular genres of music? Sure. That's what they were doing in the 60s. You know, they didn't... uh... There are all kind, you know, jazz was mixed with blues, and you have certain songs. Jazz is mixed with, you know, show tunes, and you have my favorite things. You know, that's this isn't this recipe isn't anything new. Just now that we eighty sixty years later, or whatever it is, we have more music to choose from, to mix with, <laughs> than Train did. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Robert Glasper. His recent album with his band, The Robert Glasper Experiment, is called Black Radio. It features performances from guest vocalists including Bilal, Erica Badu, and Mostaf. Mm-hmm. 
radio, sucker never play me. Triple straight up back then my bleach should never fade me. They say he crazy, New York wisdom in the 80s, killer catch administration, gangster renovation, born of isolation, she in ill communication, she in Marbell, fight by active pestilential microscopic soul, sonic remedy, clinic right in the street, operator in the dark, surgery a wounded heart, come together, pill apart, pill apart, come together, smoking on something good, praying for something better, from out of better, never rocking for forever, ever, 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 forever, ever, ever, it's still a secret even when you tell them dumb dummies, hush money, rent receipt, drug money, they cold blooded, warm gun money, the chief rock up, you'll inject the Zulu horse, pop you made some really beautiful music, both um, with hip-hop artists and, and with hip-hop as an inspiration. And I, I want to talk to you a little bit about um, uh, the late hip-hop producer, uh, J.D., J. Dilla. Um, did you first meet him when he was working with Bilal? Yes. Um, that was one of the first producers that... When, when Bilal got signed to Interscope Records in 99, he got signed, I think. Um, that was one of the first producers they had um, slated to him to work with. So they flew Bilal out to Detroit to work with him, and he told them, yeah, I'm going to bring my boy out with me, you know, to work, to, work, to work with us. They're like, okay. So they flew me and Bilal out to Detroit, and we worked with Dilla for like a week and a half, two weeks, every day in his basement, hung out with him and, you know, um, Talked about music, shared records. You know, he hit me to a lot of jazz records I, I wasn't hip to. Showed me where a lot of his samples came from, all kinds of stuff. I'm going to play um, an instrumental from uh, Slum Village's Fantastic Volume 2, which was probably... Um, Most critically acclaimed. Yeah, um, uh, the album that, that JD produced. Nobody else's drums sound like his drums because he sounded like an actual drummer. And when you're a, be- a person that pays attention to beats, you know, his hi-hat, kick, snare, all came together and sounded like it, there was a person at the drums, which is hard to do because all the, everything made sense as far as sound-wise. Oh, it sounds like somebody's at the drums. Be- and that's because he also played drums. And so he understood the drums. But he also played the drums in a way that many people weren't hip to, didn't play like, because he had this thing, people call it behind the beat, you know, all kind of stuff, but where he laid everything was always, like, not right on, it didn't sound quantized, it wasn't exactly on, but at the same time, you can bob your head to it. Sometimes the snare will be early, bass drum be a little late, or bass drum be a little early, snare be a little late, hi-hat's kind of in the middle doing something, it was kind of drunk funkish, you're just in the middle, like, what's happening? Then there's the melodic content of it, where he's one of the most melodic producer I know. You know, that's what really gravitated me towards his music. You know, the aesthetics of jazz and hip hop owe something to each other, but they're also very different. I mean, I think that for one thing, jazz is very deeply invested in the idea of the instrumental solo, which is not at all part of hip hop. Well, I guess you could make... Well, the vocal. I was about to say, I guess you could make some argument for the vocal being something like an instrumental solo. Uh-huh. Because it's improv a lot of times. Sometimes it's... Sometimes. You know what I'm saying? It's it's uh, off the cuff. Um, freestyled, if you will. Sure. But I think I, I think that it's... I, I think you're stretching there. It honestly depends. 
And it depends on who you're going to see. You know, you go see Q-Tip live, he's probably going to freestyle. You go see, I'm just naming people that I've been on stage with. And pretty much nine times out of ten, I know they're going to freestyle at some point. You know what I mean? But for the most part, now when you when you add, I have records into it, you know, I have albums. I got songs that people know. You got to do the songs. You know what I mean? But I, I, I know what you're saying. If you go to a jazz show, you're going to see more improvisation. And I also think that, you know, there's also an element of dance music versus not dance music in the sense that most hip-hop, certainly not all hip-hop, but most hip-hop is either dance music or has its roots in dance music. And one of the essential elements of dance music is repetition. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, jazz Now we're going music, back to the birthplace of jazz. What was jazz when it was first made? Yeah, sure, but it it has it has substantially changed. Not been that for since since right. the 50s. But again, that's what I'm saying. The birth of all this stuff comes from the father to the son. Right. No, the father jazz in the 30s was all dance music. That's what it was for. That was the purpose and it was very repetitious. It was a big band. The beat was ching, shake it, ing, shake it, ing, shake it, ing, shake it, ing. The bass was doom, 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 and the horns were pop, pop, spot up, pop, spot it up, pop it up, pop, pop, pop. Repetition, and then it, and then it morphed into something else. And the same thing with jazz. Same thing with hip hop. You know, repetition, dance music. I mean, hip hop and jazz is the same thing. And everybody's like, oh, you know. Hip hop cats, you know, they always it's all about drugs and women and and alcohol and what was jazz? <laughs> <laughs> Robert, I'm not sure I can support hip hop because I've heard a lot of hip hop artists smoke jazz cigarettes. <laughs> you know, it's all the same. You know, they learned from hip hop cats learned from jazz. Jazz was the first of all that. Because jazz was the hip-hop of its time. It was the newest, coolest, dopest, most cutting-edge music of the time, all the time. And that's what's missing about it now. Now they're reminiscing about that time period instead of keeping it cutting-edge and new all the time. Well, Robert Glasper, I sure appreciate you taking the time to be on Bullseye. It was really a pleasure. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Robert Glasper is the band leader of the Robert Glasper Experiment. Their album, Black Radio, is available now. Let's close out with the song, Always Shine. It features both Bilal and Lupe Fiasco. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest, Davey Rothbart, is the editor of Found Magazine. It's a magazine composed entirely of things people have found. Everything from to-do lists to journal entries to love letters, all recontextualized and somehow, inside of a magazine, made magical. Davey's been a guest on our show many times, and today he has kindly agreed to stop by and share some of the amazing finds that have come to him over the course of his recent cross-country tours with found people every city we go to people give us found stuff and if you live near a school you know that those are great places to find stuff because kids are good at losing stuff and this one came from houston and i I really like this one i think it's like a middle school it was found outside of and it says at the top here erica rioja erica rioja 
It says, Erica, we the boys want to know why are you going out with Nathan and you like all of us in a way? Tell us why on this time what you like the person with their name. For example, Fred, not at all. Sorry for asking you all these questions, but we the boys want to know and get to the bottom of this. I'm always having to write these letters because the rest of the boys, they are some punks. You don't have to tell us right away, but do tell us. Me, Fred, and Ricky thought of writing to you. Well, really, it was just Fred. <laughs> All the boys in the sixth grade likes you, except for some. <laughs> that means you are the finest girl in the whole sixth grade. A few of them like you because of you-know-what, but I don't. Oh. I like you because you have a pretty face and a pretty smile, and you're the only girl that has a little piece of hair going on her face. I think that makes you even prettier. <laughs> You said that was your own style, and I think that's so cool, or whatever. <laughs> that's all for now, so I'll see you on the flip side. Peace out. P.S. Call me if you want to talk about something or tell me about myself. <laughs> you know my number, and if you don't, then I'll tell you in your ear, because I don't want any other girl but you to know my number, not even Aisha. <laughs> so, so, you know, that, that's become a, a new favorite of mine. And these are all, you know, real found notes found on the street, found on the ground, and sent into us from around the country and around the world or given to us on these found magazine tours that, that we do. And they, sometimes they just make you laugh out loud. Sometimes they make you tear up. But, um, but uh, yeah, that's a, that's a new favorite of mine. That one is really magical. It, it, it is. It's sweet. And it's just looking for clarification. Each, exactly. I mean, he just wants her to... You know, t- t- either talk about something or tell him about himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and college campuses are another good place to find stuff. And I brought here a couple like that. This one found in Austin, Texas, University of Texas. It says, Jenna, can I give you a sensual massage? Then I will talk about Jesus. <laughs> because, you know, I'm like, man, I, I could use some spiritual guidance. My soldiers are tight. Where's this guy when you need him, you know? This guy's got priorities. Yeah. He's got the, one, the old one-two <laughs> the old one-two. Yeah, what, what's, what are his real motives, though? That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> um, I brought one more find to share with you guys today. And this is one that came from Providence, Rhode Island. And as we travel around, sometimes we get to meet the people who have found this stuff. And the woman that found this one, she told me she found it in her front yard. This wind had just like blown it into her lawn. This note, also in kids' handwriting. And it says at the top, Adventure Club. How to get into the club. You need to know how to climb a fence. You need to like adventure. And then the rules. No messing up the club. Don't bring anything in without permission from Shane or Ethan. <laughs> you have to be nice to squirrels. And most importantly, you can't tell anyone where or what the club is. So the woman I found this, like she thought she might know who Shane and Ethan were. Just some of the neighborhood kids. She'd see them running around with their friends on the street. She went up to them a few days later and started asking them about the Adventure Club and reciting some of this top-secret rules. So the kids are shocked. You know, like, how does she know all this classified information? <laughs> she told them that her dog, named Kismet, had overheard them making up the rules. <laughs> so they're speechless, and as they were walking away, she heard the littlest one exclaim to his friend, you know, wow, Kismet heard us. And she said she still likes to imagine these kids being really secretive around any dog after that. <laughs> I like the idea that there was an inciting incident with a squirrel that led to rule number two. I thought about you with that one. Um, where is that squirrel that you, you used oh, to keep Oh, Nutsy, around? the official squirrel yes. at MaximumFun.org? He's yes. downstairs okay. on the mantelpiece. I have Don't to worry. say hi when I, when I go down there. Um, yeah, yeah. So if anyone listening has found something, I hope they'll send it into Found Magazine. You can go to the Found Magazine website, foundmagazine.com. It's got our address in Michigan where you can send your finds. We love seeing them. We'll be putting out a new issue in the next few months, so... We want to see those finds. Well, we always love to have you here on the show, Davey. It has been the first time you were on this program was literally for Found Magazine number one 
and, which and the, we found on the on the shelves of Bookshop Santa Cruz in Santa Cruz, California. That's awesome. The the tenth anniversary of Found is coming up this fall, so we're going to do a big seventy five city tour, collect new finds, and share all the great ones we've saved, people have given us over the years. Well, Davey, thanks for joining us on Bullseye. Great to see you, Justin. After a break, I'll talk to Penn Ward about his animated series, Adventure Time. It combines two of the greatest elements of adolescent boyhood, innocence, and Dungeons and Dragons. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and PRI. Your Blick Radio International. Hey gang, it's me, Jesse. We just finished Max FunCon on the West Coast. It was an amazing good time. It changed innumerable lives. You could probably put a number on it because there's only a couple hundred people there. Anyway, moral of the story is Max FunCon East is coming up in October in the Poconos, which we are putting on with some help from our friends at WNYC in New York. It is going to be a blast. We are already three quarters sold out, so don't wait for that lineup announcement to buy your tickets because there might not be any tickets left. If you want more information, you want to get some tickets now, go to MaxFunCon.com. MaxFunCon East is October 26th through 28th in the Poconos. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. When you say that a cartoon show works for adults, it usually just means that it has a few jokey references thrown in that kids wouldn't get. It's much more rare to find something that's just as magical to an 8-year-old as it is to a 15-year-old as it is to a 40-year-old. My guest, Pendleton Ward, has created a show like that called Adventure Time. It started out as a web short, which collected over a million views on YouTube, despite a total lack of cats riding Roomba vacuum cleaners, which, as I understand it, is the main ingredient of uh, YouTube videos with over a million views. A few years later, it became a series on Cartoon Network. The show follows the adventures of a boy named Finn and his shape-shifting dog, Jake. At the start of the show, Finn, the boy, was 12. Jake, the dog, was 28. The pair live in a post-apocalyptic wonderland, if that makes any sense, and they charge bravely and sometimes foolishly into a crazy kaleidoscope of challenges like only an adolescent and an arrested adolescent shape-shifting dog can. The results are bizarre and funny, but also disarmingly sweet. And here's a clip from the show that I think will give you some sense of the show's tone. Um, Finn, the kid is building a pie-throwing robot to throw pies at Jake, the dog. It's never-ending pie-throwing time! Come on, dude. Turn on! Why isn't it working? <sighs> I'll never make a prank better than Jake's garbage bag full of butter. Oh! Ouch! Holy stuff! It talked! Wow, cow chow! Greetings, creator. Oh, whoa. Hey, man. My name is Neptur, which stands for never-ending pie-throwing robot. Oh, perfect. You're exactly the kind of robot I was trying to make. Penn Ward, welcome to Bullseye. It's great to have you on the show. <clears throat> Thanks, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. You are, you've been drawing the entire time that I've been introducing you. Can you tell me what you're drawing in your notepad there? Uh, you you made a little laugh at one point, and you made a purse, pursing shape with your lips, and I thought that was worth uh, doodling. <laughs> so a, there's, your little, there's your lips pursing out. Have you always drawn all the time? Yes, uh, since I was little. 
At one point, my mom gave up on trying to tell me that how rude it was. Because I think I'm just I just draw during conversations with people. It's like a baby blanket. It just feels comfortable drawing, and I don't have to look up. <laughs> I'm just enjoying being in my own my own world. How does it relate to like what's going on around you? Uh, as far as <laughs> yeah, like, socially, what, like uh, I mean, I just uh, generally. I mean, do, yeah. are you are you drawing things that you're seeing? Are you drawing feelings that you're having? <laughs> are you draw? You know what I mean? I like, drew feelings in high school. Are you drawing I, messages <clears throat> that you I have for others? I, I'm usually just making fun of people. I'm usually just drawing like rude drawings about of, of people, or or I'm doing caricatures of people, or um, uh, I'm just trying to draw funny ideas. I drew feelings in high school, and I gave it up. Uh, uh, it's too too personal i don't want anyone to see that stuff but it's fun just trying to making making people laugh that's what i do with my twitter uh is uh if i if i do anything that i think is like tweet worthy is, is something that makes me laugh if if i do a drawing that's funny enough to put on twitter i'll, I'll put it up I got I, I mentioned on Twitter that you were going to be on the show, and I got this torrent of questions about the idea of making a show that is for both kids and adults. And I, I wonder when you created that first animated short, which was the first thing that I ever saw. I mean, I remember the huge impression that it made on me w- when I saw it. Um, what was the audience that you had in mind when you made that? I was thinking about myself, I suppose. I was just trying to make something, make myself laugh. Um, I wanted to create a short about a hero. Um, maybe I was thinking a lot about um, characters that you, you that you fall in love with, and I'm about to say Captain Jean-Luc Picard, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I couldn't I couldn't steer myself away from saying I am in love with him. Uh, Don't worry, we're going to get into Dungeons and Dragons later, so yeah, um, it's all going to get out there, Penn. Great. I thought it was. Re- I mean, I just, I just jokingly said something about Dungeons and Dragons, but um, I read this interview that you did on the website of Dungeons and Dragons, mm. and um, you described the hero of this show as a paladin. And my Dungeons and Dragons experience was mostly computer game related, mm. um, but from what I remember, the essential quality of a paladin is that they can't do evil, right? They're like a they're like a warrior, a knight type guy that can't right. do evil stuff, right? right? Yeah, Finn's I was just having a conversation about this uh with with Pat McHale and Kent Osborne over lunch. They're the writers on the show about Finn's Finn being lawful good and Pat was I was having an argument with Pat about whether or not Finn's lawful good or, or chaotic good. And I think pal- paladins are lawful good. Um You're but, gonna have to explain what that means. <laughs> Uh, blindly following the the rules, the good rules, is it like lawful good and uh, chaotic good? Is what Pat was saying that Finn was, um, and that's more like he follows his heart. He follows what he thinks is the right thing to do. Uh, and so I, I ended up agreeing with Pat that Finn is is chaotic good. Dungeons, chambers, whoa, evil creatures, doorways, traps. Yeah, I'm in my element. It's Bullseye, I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Pendleton Ward. His animated television show Adventure Time is in its fourth season on the Cartoon Network. The first season of Adventure Time is on DVD this week. Describe for me a little bit this this world that these two characters live in. It's post-apocalyptic Earth. It's it's uh, uh, after 
the the mushroom war uh, on Earth. Magic has has sort of grown back into the world, and and uh, life has sort of grown anew. That's that's sort of the world. It's just a fantasy sort of Dungeon and Dragons esque world full of monsters and and magic. You're um, I think like a year younger than me, so I'm guessing that the stuff that you grew up with, the cartoons that you grew up with, is pretty similar to what I grew up with, and the stuff that really was amazing when I was a kid was The Simpsons and then that first generation of cable TV cartoons that were wild, which means Beavis and Butthead, Ren and Stimpy, yep. and their ilk. Mm-hmm. And the thing about those shows is that they're all crazy irreverent, sometimes gross and just just wild and in your face in a way that maybe, you know, like Warner Brothers cartoons are to some extent in some ways, but um, just powered by farts and just anything crazy. And there are a fair amount of farts in Adventure Time. Yeah, don't get me started. Uh, <laughs> uh, fart, I love fart jokes, but only, I think it's a really delicate craft to really just to perfect the perfect fart joke i spent a lot of time uh on selecting you know the toot sound and also the (laughs) the placement of it i don't think it i think a bad one is usually when it's overly gross or if it's used just to gross for gross out humor i think it's more of a punctuation to a moment you can't hurt me i'm a radical boy on a mission for the crystal eye i'm going to unzip your skin and wear you like a little coat Unzip this! Let's talk a little bit about um, the kind of Dungeons and Dragons adventure part of Adventure Time. Um, They do go on these kind of fantastical adventures on the show. Um, And they uh, they come from a fantasy world. And it's not a quite... It's not exactly a fantasy world that I recognize. Where does it, where does it come from in your mind? Do you think? Uh, it was originally inspired by Rankin Bass cartoons, and uh, the world is is super colorful. I think like that. Um, but then also there's a lot, there's like Blade Runner is in it. I think um, when they're when they're finding old sort of forgotten objects from the from the old world, they're finding like holograms too. And um, I mean that's not something that you hear all the time. That you get you get something that oh well you know I get a, I get a lot of inspiration of course from Rankin Bass cartoons and Blade Runner. Yeah, Blade Runner, your Rankin Bass. <laughs> Do you play Dungeons and Dragons? Uh, now as a as a regular thing do you have a standing game yeah i try to make it out uh the, the job keeps me really busy so i can't always make it out to my to my D group but yeah i was i was a i was a tiefling which is a new creation it's sort of a, it's a demon race in uh, the latest edition D. um i usually play thief characters because as a thief, I'm really bad at role-playing, so uh, when you're in a tavern and you're, you're a thief, you can just sort of like hang back in the shadows and watch everyone. You don't have to talk. Wait That's a minute. Funny. Are you telling me, when you say you're really bad at role-playing, yeah. Dungeons & Dragons, let's be clear, was invented specifically so that people who are uncomfortable in social situations <laughs> could have a context, <laughs> a pretend social situation in which they could be comfortable because they have their... I see where you're getting Because they can be a superhero. Right. You know, a, 
orc that's super strong or a paladin that's good with swords. Right, swords. <laughs> um, you want to be a little sneaky guy that doesn't have to talk to anybody? Yeah. Um, wallflower. I like... Uh, I don't like it. I mean, I try, I've tried before to break out of my shell in character. Uh, it just doesn't, doesn't pan out. Um, I'm usually drawing... Uh, like I was drawing you when you first started talking, I'm usually just drawing while everyone else is playing D&D and uh, at the table I'm just... Just always drawing. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Pendleton Ward, the creator of the animated television show Adventure Time. In this clip from the season four premiere, Jake and Finn secretly observe Finn's latest crush, a flame princess who's set on destroying everything in her path with fire. Look at her. She's innocent. Like the steam off a puppy's nose, searching for ham in the snow. Guy drops one piece of ham in the snow and he never hears the end of it. Snap out of it. She's burning cute little flowers. Yeah, she is like a cute little flower. There's a great relationship between uh, Finn, the kid, and and Jake, the dog, um, which is defined by the fact that, you know, Finn is a kid or an adolescent, and Jake is, (laughs) you know, Jake is his loyal companion, the dog, but Jake is sort of like a... um, you know, Jake is sort of like a grizzled, uh, sort of like he's like a senior camp counselor, or like a, a he's like he's like a char- one of those characters in a um, in a college movie who's a sixth year senior. It's funny that you said that's that's specific senior camp counselor because we based him off of Bill Murray from Meatballs. <laughs> um, that's exactly the direction that we wanted to take him in. There are a lot of moments in the show when just something uh, something nice happens or something pretty happens. And that's not something that you see on a lot of television shows, A. B, a lot of children's television shows. And C, certainly not a lot of children's television shows with male protagonists and adventure themes. With with swords in their logos, <laughs> yeah, I'm really proud of every episode that ends with a sweet moment that feels like it's justified. That doesn't feel like it. it like I don't, I don't like moral endings or moral messages or messages in general. I just like if we have a story that that feels like it naturally goes into like ends with like a really just sweet moment between the characters where they're just happy in life. <laughs> uh, then I feel really proud of it. Well, Penn, thank you so much for taking the time to join me on Bullseye. It was really, really fun to talk to you. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Animator Pendleton Ward is the creator of Adventure Time. The fourth season of the show is airing Mondays on Cartoon Network. Every week on the show, we close with a recommendation from yours truly. It's the outshot. I'm usually immune to silly web videos, the kind of thing where friends are goofing around and editing up the goofs and putting it on the web to show how funny they all are together. Usually I hate that baloney, but I'm making an exception because Bestie by Bestie is the funniest silly nonsense I have ever watched. Bar none. Hi, I'm Gabe. And I'm Jenny. And we're besties. Best friends. People think, hey, you guys are besties. You must know everything there is to know about each other. But there's still things that we don't know about each other. For example, I hang my shirts in the closet. And I chew on bones. 
That's what this series is about. Welcome to Bestie by Bestie. Bestie by Bestie stars writing partners Gabe Liedman and Jenny Slate. You might know Slate from Bored to Death on HBO or from her season on Saturday Night Live. She was also the voice of the monumentally popular viral video Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, which was directed by her fiancé, Dean Fleischer Camp. Fleischer Camp also helms Bestie by Bestie, and he gives it a vaguely masterpiece theatery vibe that contrasts beautifully with two genuine best friends on camera trying with all their might not to let on how much they're trying to crack each other up. What you can't see in this clip you're about to hear is the insane and just fantastically charming contortions of Leadman and Slate's faces as they try to look serious while the other one is talking. What's, What's wrong, wrong with, with books? They're heavy. The in them is dumb. You always have to pretend you've read them. They're always like... One summer when I was vacationing with my cousins, I met Raffaello Rotundo, and he showed me how I want to be free. And you're like, just be an American. Everybody can do everything now. I don't relate to that damn story. Just read a freaking Dilbert and go to sleep. There really isn't much more to Bestie by Bestie than this. A little bit of chamber music, two best friends acting dumb and trying to look serious. But it is so, so funny. There are half a dozen episodes. Google them. They will make you happy. <laughs> That's my out chat. That's it for this week's Bullseye. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer, Julia Smith. Our editor, Nick White. Our intern, Lindsay Pavlis. You should like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash bullseye with Jesse Thorne. All of those words in one long string to get special updates. You can also find us on Twitter at bullseye. And you can find me on Twitter at Jesse Thorne. I guess that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Production of Bullseye is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. And by Graham Clark, comedian and host of the podcast Stop Podcasting Yourself, presenting a new stand-up special available online at thestandupcomedians.com. Support for this program comes from this station and public radio international stations nationwide and is made possible in part by the PRI Program Fund, whose contributors include the Ford Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. PRI Public Radio International.